Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. One of the things parents fret about the most is sleep, or more specifically, the lack of it. Sleep deprivation becomes a very real thing and parents finding themselves obsessing about how best to get their little ones to sleep as best they can. Because everything revolves around sleep. You get lots of it, everyone feels great, has more patience, more fun, and if you don't get enough, even the smallest challenge seems insurmountable. And because everyone's obsessed with sleep, everyone talks about it, and inevitably you get conflicting advice. Well, I'm hoping today's guest will clear that up. Jenna Wilson is a professionally trained sleep consultant whose everyday work revolves around helping parents understand and resolve their children's sleep issues. Jenna, thank you for coming along today. Thank you for having me. You're the mother of three, still quite small children. I am, Are yes, they good I, sleepers? They are, I'm afraid to say, although I always think when people ask me that, that it'd be a bit rubbish if they weren't very good sleepers. <laughs> but did they start out good sleepers, or was that something that you were surprised by? I was very strict. I was quite strict in relation to their sleep. So from an early age, with all three of them, I made sure that they had a really good routine, that they were very well fed, and that we had a really good feeding and sleeping routine. Not extremely strict, but I definitely wanted to make sure that their awake times were right and that they knew how to get themselves to sleep as early as they possibly could. Yeah. So I'd love to understand a little bit more about how a baby's sleep develops over their childhood, really, Mm. because actually it is a sort of ongoing thing. And and sleep is such an important part of, of their existence isn't it it really is it is it is incredibly it's just so important for every part of their their growth their development everything and so you know when we think about children developing in their sleep actually newborns for the first six weeks I generally say to mommies just go with it however your little one needs to fall asleep let them fall asleep that way because realistically you're just getting to know each other you're recovering so just be kind to everybody get to know each other around six weeks sleep becomes a little bit more organized that's in relative terms because newborns are are very different sleepers to the rest of children they spend about half their time in deep sleep and half their time in dream sleep so the deep sleep is where all their hormones are secreted they're growing and they're finding out when they're hungry when they're when they're full those sorts of things and then the rest of the time the other half roughly is when their brains are organizing so they've all had so much stimulation from the day that their brains are having to organize a lot to what happens and so around six weeks it becomes ever so slightly more organized so really before that all you can do is teach them the difference between night and day there are more things that you can do but I think especially in this country because we don't need to go back to work so quickly we perhaps don't need to be as worried as you know perhaps in in America parents need to go back up to work at six weeks around six weeks you can start helping your little one towards their independent sleep skills practicing you know working towards some goals seeing if they can fall asleep without feeding to sleep or being in the pram but again we're not being strict with our newborns because they are they're very small but then around and that's because around four months so between 12 and 16 weeks they go through what everyone fondly refers to as the sick uh, the four week four month sleep regression the horror. The horror. The idea that sleep can regress, I think, is horrific. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think this is probably the only maybe true regression, but it doesn't really regress. It, it, it develops. So for babies, it's a massive developmental stage. And what happens is before this time, they're half the time in deep sleep, half the time in dream sleep. Whereas after that, they develop sleep cycles, which last around 45 minutes to an hour. So they have two stages of light sleep, a stage of deep sleep, and then they go into slightly lighter sleep again where they dream, and then they have a brief awakening. 
And so if everything's the same as it was when they fell asleep, so they're in their cot and they're, they're, they roll over, go back to sleep again, they don't remember it in the morning, same as us. But if things are different, so if perhaps they've been fed to sleep or rocked to sleep or something to sleep, when they come to the edge of this, their sleep after this dreams, they're like, oh gosh, this is bizarre. I'm on the kitchen floor. Something, you know, this is all very different. Quickly, mommy, come and do something to get me back off to sleep again. Well, like we would be freaked out, I guess, Absolutely. too. If we'd gone to sleep in one place and then woken up somewhere else, you'd think, oh, what's happened? I, I, I'd cry probably too. Well, I think I would. And I, I relate that to, you know, I always explain that to mummies and daddies I work with. You know, we go to sleep with our duvet on our pillow and we fall asleep. Our sleep cycles are slightly longer, about an hour and a half. But we come to the edge of sleep. It's the same sleep cycle. It's just longer. We come to the edge of sleep. And if everything's exactly the same, we roll over, go back to sleep again. We don't remember it in the morning. But yes, if you were to come to the edge of sleep on the kitchen floor, you'd say, oh my gosh, this is bizarre. Someone, <laughs> What did I do last floor? night? What happened? Oh my goodness. Gone are those days where it might be perhaps normal. <laughs> and so it's the same for your little one. If they've been assisted to sleep in some way, they come to the edge of sleep and they're like, oh my goodness, what on earth has happened? Quick, someone help me get back to sleep again. And I think that's why parents think their sleep has regressed because if they're coming to the edge of sleep every 45 minutes to an hour they need help every 45 minutes to an hour and that's not really what you want in the middle of the night yeah and that does make sense it really does and so then that that sleep regression happens at about sort of four months Roughly, and then yeah. do, is that something they sort of naturally grow out of or need a bit of help or how does that work i think it depends if they've you know and that's what we do with newborns if they have been able to practice that independent skill before so maybe they've had a bit of practice getting to sleep by themselves you know maybe especially if they're second time around it might be that there's a toddler that needs something and so they've been you know grumbled for a couple of minutes and then been able to get themselves off to sleep again but i think if they haven't had that practice it may be that they do find it tricky and and often children dr mindell who's an, an american doctor estimates that if children get to the age of a year and still have sleep problems it's probably going to be around 80% of them will still have a problem three to five years later so some children yes they may be able to get out a bit but most of the time they definitely need a bit of a helping hand in the right direction okay we'll talk about that in a second Mm. and then as they kind of progress beyond I definitely noticed with my children when they started before they started solids one of the indicators that maybe they were ready for solids was that they've been sleeping quite well at night and then they started waking up and they mm. just seemed very very hungry is mm. that sort of normal I noticed that with my children I think it's actually been taken off of one of the the accepted ways that children are ready for solids but it's something that I've definitely noticed in my children and I do notice sometimes with with my clients children if they're you know if they're very reliant upon milk and perhaps you know if they're perhaps a little bit older six seven months that then it becomes more obvious that they're waking in the night because they are hungry and need a little bit more than than milk to get themselves back off to sleep again okay and then when they become mobile so once they start crawling and walking Mm. do you think they sleep better or is that just again a sort of old wives tale I think I think it can sometimes really upset sleep I think if they're working on something if they're working on a developmental stage like crawling or walking then they almost have this biological urge to practice in the night time but that might should really only last a few nights what I find often is parents say oh crikey my little one's awake in the night quick we best help them do something and so that's a lot of the time when people talk about other sleep regressions perhaps around eight months or 18 months often it's more to do with a developmental stage rather than this you know the four month one their sleep is developing in their brain these I find are more developmental stages but what's happened is that the parents have then intervened and done something to get the little one back off to sleep again because they think they should be asleep in the middle of the night and then the little one thinks well actually this is nicer if you if you're here with me mummy or if you're rocking me or something like that and that's when I find that it's then sleep does regress but I don't think it's due to necessarily the developmental stage yes that will impact sleep but only for a few days if the little ones are able to get on with it and obviously you know sleep for little ones isn't just during the night it's during the day as Mm. well how important are those daytime naps when it comes to sort of nighttime naps so so important basically if your little one isn't getting the right amount of sleep in the day and at the right times that's really going to impact nighttime sleep if your little one's overtired they're more likely to wake in the night and early in the morning so you know before six because there haven't been huge amounts of studies on this as far as I'm aware but I think the the suggestion is that you've got the little ones have got too much of the hormones that we don't want think they've got too much adrenaline they've got too much cortisol and so they're then that's already built up in their overtiredness because 
those things are secreted when we're overtired. They have a build-up of those, and so when they come to the early hours of the morning or when they've had too little sleep in the day, that's really going to impact their overnight sleep. They're going to find it harder to get themselves back off to sleep again. And can too much sleep in the day impact their nighttime sleep? It can. It, it really is a bit of a balance. If they have too much sleep in the day, they have a, you know a, a, an, es- an amount of sleep that they need in a 24-hour period. So, you know, for example, a, a three, not to three-month-old needs around 14 to 17 hours. A four to 11-month-old needs around 12 to 15 hours. But if they're having, you know, five hours of sleep in the day as naps, they're then not going to be able to sleep particularly well overnight because they're having too much sleep in the daytime. And then obviously they get to the stage where they stop having naps during mm. the day. I mean, they usually, and from my, my experience, stop kind of between two and three, don't they? Those yeah, I would generally say about two and a half to three. Mm. Every now and again, we get little ones who are able to stop a little bit earlier. But generally, as a rule, yeah, between two and a half and three. And then when they drop that sort of afternoon nap, do they need to have for you know a little bit more sleep at night? Or do you sort of stick to sort of 12 hours? They may initially need a little bit more sleep at night because their bodies are adjusting. But then, of course, they're getting a little bit older. And so as they get a little bit older, the, the amount of sleep that they need reduces slightly. But I always say generally, if people, you know, little ones drop, drop their nap altogether, don't be afraid of bringing bedtime forward. Lots of parents think, what if I bring bedtime forward to six, half six, and they're just going to wake earlier? Probably not. If they're overtired, they're more likely to wake earlier. If they've been well rested, then they'll probably carry on sleeping until the time that they were before. Yeah. And then obviously you've got school-aged children who mm. aren't having naps during the day, mm. um, but when they start school, that can be quite sort of full on. What, what does their sleep look like when they're sort of cycles and, and how much sleep should they be getting ideally? I mean, it's, it's so difficult because they're not robots, are they? It's not Absolutely. like you can plug in an iPhone and go, it will charge in yes. how many minutes. <laughs> it's, we're humans. Yeah, very, very totally. <laughs> If you the children around three to five and the National Sleep Foundation guidelines, because children in America have slightly different school ages to us, but around three to five year olds need around 10 to 13 hours in that 24 hour period. That's probably going to be mostly overnight. And of course, then when children are around six to 13, they need about nine to 11 hours of sleep. But I would say certainly in the in the, you know, six, seven, eight categories are going to need close to to 12 hours and being conscious as well that school is incredibly stimulating for them you know reception they're starting school year one I think sometimes parents think oh well it's just you know the next year up but actually there's a lot of learning that happens in year one that reception is more play there's a lot of learning in year one so that can often be a big stepping stone that parents perhaps don't realize and it's the most intense kind of learning isn't it you it know is. when you're at school it's all these different interactions you know it's not like break is a break for them mm-hmm. a break is kind of even more of an avalanche of learning so it's such a sort of hyper stimulated day it the whole really thing. is and a lot of sitting still and as well for children that aren't used to sitting still a lot of sitting still learning and then the break time is learning about social interaction and what's acceptable and who's friends with who and there's so much going on for them bless them so you know it's really important that they get that sleep so that they can manage all these social interactions in the day as well many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I'd love to talk a little bit about what to do when your child isn't sleeping. Let's start at the early stages. So what happens if your child isn't sleeping that well? What happens if, let's start with the sort of baby stage, Mm. and you sort of said, ideally, they should be sleeping, you know, for for a good amount of time at night. You said sort of 14 to 17 hours, didn't you? Yeah, for newborns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember nights where my daughter, I remember one night she just literally didn't sleep. She seemed to be up the whole night. And I mean, 
mean, I, c- I couldn't cope. I, could, I have no idea how she could cope. But no. What, what, is a pro- what is normal, what is not normal in terms of, I mean, presumably it is quite normal to have some really disrupted nights where they are sort of struggling to sleep in those sort of early weeks. It really is. And also, you know, lots of newborns are born with their nights and day mixed up because often, you know, during the day they've been motion there's a lot of motion because mummy's moving around and they're being you know motion and then often mummies will find that when they sit down or when they lay down and try and go to bed themselves then there's lots of kicks and the baby almost you know wakes up they the the the, the feeling is that they do sleep in the womb but of course they've then got their days and nights mixed up and also the world is just so incredibly stimulating for them when when they're born you know when they're in your womb they've it's all muffled it's very quiet it's a little cocoon for them and they're born and it's just these lights the sounds the smells everything things so stimulating for them so really in the early weeks I would generally be saying to mummies you know recover get to know each other don't worry too much about what everyone says you know you're making a rod for your own back letting your little one fall asleep on you all of those sorts of things actually you're really not you know before six weeks I would say concentrate on teaching your little one the difference between night and day so make your daytime feeds nice and light and bright and not too exciting and and be conscious as well don't put your baby on the play mat every single time when especially when they're newborns because the whole world is stimulating for them if you go somewhere new for lunch that's a whole world of stimulating for them so don't worry that you have to be stimulating them and teaching them all the time well they're also you know as their eyesight develops Mm. you know the window they they couldn't see yesterday they can see today and can you imagine how freaked out we would be like oh my god that was not there yesterday i mean it's just (laughs) those colors i could not see those yesterday life for them is like us going to alton towers it is so stimulating before they have some kind of multicolored, you know dingly lighter up toys shoved in their face (laughs) exactly so I think that's really important to remember is that actually the first few weeks are just really stimulating for them without us really having to do very much so just making sure that their daytime feeds are nice and bright and light and you know that sort of thing and that nighttime is very boring and very dim you know I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say don't look at your baby don't give them eye contact but just try not to inter- don't make it fun because you're trying to help them learn that this is this is nighttime and they they don't understand if you said well this is nighttime they, they think well that's a nice that's a nice sound yeah. you want to just make sure kind of showing them that actually yes it's, it's lovely and I love you very much but it's it's time to sleep so let's be quiet and let's be boring and it's all very dim yeah I mean someone said to me once oh I read a book and they said don't don't have eye contact with your baby when you're trying to put them to sleep and that seems so cruel to me and I remember thinking well I mean it's not like they're saying never have eye contact but I guess you know eye contact with you who's the most exciting person in the world for them is a bit like I don't know George Clooney walking into the room and sort of suddenly flirting with me and I'd be like whoa yay I'm gonna go to sleep now well exactly why would you (laughs) or even even um if just your husband was to stare at you the whole time you were trying to fall asleep you'd be a bit like what what like what what this is all I'm, I'm, I'm freaked out here you're kind of staring at me and it's a bit weird I'd prefer it if you just you know turned over even even if it wasn't George Clooney so I kind of think that you know you're the, you are the most important and exciting person for them so you know I'm not saying don't give them eye contact but don't sort of be stimulating them loads because that's not what they want in the middle of the night they just need to go to sleep so you know a tiny bit perhaps yes but and don't ignore them but at the same time don't be too exciting for them and you talked about, you know, and I think it's so important that the, the you know, telling them or suggesting to them that it is night time, mm. you can't just say it's time to go to sleep now. I definitely found that doing sort of that last feed at night in a darkened room in the same place with the sort of whole bath time routine, mm-hmm. that often very quickly became that, those cues that yes. it was bedtime. And so even though they couldn't understand the words, mm-hmm. it's bedtime now, they knew that we went up to have a bath, we had a low light, you know, the, 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 the last feed was not done in the kitchen with the music on and the, this, and that actually made a huge difference mm. to, and I see that in myself, you know, I've, I, if I've been to a party and then I come home, I need half an hour to wind down Definitely. rather than straight into bed. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of keeping those those lights low because we do know that low lighting promotes melatonin production, doesn't it? It does, yeah, which is the, technically the hormone of darkness, but it helps our body prepare for sleep. And I always recommend it to parents that we're working with, not necessarily for newborns because they're developing it, they don't have it when they're born. But even for children, you know, five, six months old, I suggest dimming the lights, closing the curtains. This time of year, it's not too bad. When I suggest it in the summer, people think I'm a bit crackers. But having a, a quiet game, and it's something that we do with our own children even now, 
you know, we'll we'll try and dim the lights, we'll we'll avoid screens, and we have like a little, you know, Lego or Dupla or even building blocks, that sort of thing, kind of trying to create a little calm time before even before the bedtime routine starts can be really useful for children because it cues their body the same as what we should probably all do but none of us really do do we but we should have like the little calm time before we even start the bedtime routine but especially with children you know under a year under 10 months those cues are really good to cue their body so that they know oh this is about to come children like to know where they are what's coming next and that bedtime routine is really important so a lot of people know the idea of controlled crying and I think there is a lot of misunderstanding around what sort of leaving your child to cry is. What, mm-hmm. where, do you, where do you stand on that, that your child doesn't want to go to bed, you've done this whole sort of, you know, quieten it down bedtime routine, but they're just calling out for you. How do you leave them to cry? How long do you leave them to cry for? Do you go back in and reassure them? How does that work? I think I think there is a big misunderstanding, especially about what we do. I think people think either you leave your child to cry for hours or you go straight away and you help them to sleep. And actually what we do is, I suppose, somewhere in the middle, that we support little ones... There is, there's no getting away from it. There will be some communicative crying from them because they're saying, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You would normally do this for me and I would like you to carry on doing that for me. I don't understand why you're not. I'm pretty annoyed right now. So I'd like you to do something for me, please. But what's important is that what the important thing to make sure is if you are going to do something like that, and often parents who are going to do controlled crying don't call us because if you go, if you're the sort of parent who's happy doing controlled crying, then you're just going to get on with it. And actually, as far as I'm aware, all the studies that I, I, I'm, I was a solicitor in a previous life, so I'm very evidence-based. And so all the studies, the most recent studies show that even if you were to do cry it out, that's not going to harm your little one. There's been a couple of recent studies. There was one in 2016 by Michael Gradisar and, and, and a number of other experts who showed that, I can read you the, ex- the abstract, is graduated extinction and fading provided significant sleep benefits above control, but no adverse stress responses or long-term effects on parent-child attachment or child emotions or behaviour, which is pretty clear. And so where we stand on it is if, you know, if, if controlled crying works for you, if you want to you know, leave your little one to cry, that's fine, you can get on with that. And like I said, the research that I'm aware of doesn't show that it harms children in any way. If you want to carry on helping your little one sleep every time they need some help to get sleep every hour or so, then absolutely, if that's working for you, go ahead and do that as well. But where we are, like I said, is somewhere in the middle, that there's going to be some protesting, some crying, because they're saying, I don't know what to do. But you're there most of the time I would say when we're working with parents you're there supporting them through that but you're just not doing it for them because crying it's so emotive isn't it the yes. fact that they're crying I and mean, we would only cry if we're really sad about mm. something but mm. babies that's not they're not heartbroken that you've left they're just I mean I remember reading something and they, they said that there's a theory that babies will often cry themselves to sleep because it's a way of just releasing that extra energy and yeah. it helps them get to sleep or maybe even providing a bit of white noise mm. to help them get to sleep mm. so that it could be that they're crying and they don't want you but then you coming in they're like oh cool oh, oh, here. oh brilliant <laughs> you know it's like that person that George Clooney's walked in the room again <laughs> exactly that person comes into your room the whole time you're like just let me sleep yeah or you know often when I talk to parents about what they're doing you know sometimes you know they'll say well we pat their head and you know my baby doesn't respond very well to that and I think well if my husband patted my head when I was trying to go to sleep I'd be like what are you doing I'm just trying to get myself to sleep and you know we can say oh can you stop what you're doing it's really annoying me or oh this is so frustrating I can't sleep or oh I must remember to write a note that I need to tell Martin about such and such in the morning but babies can't do that they don't think oh well I must remember to tell mummy I don't like carrot I'll write that on a note they can just have a bit of a shout about it they can't they can't talk especially when children are non-verbal so a lot of what a lot of crying is isn't necessarily as we would cry when you know like you said heartbroken it's it's communicative it's perhaps saying I'm a bit frustrated I'm a bit annoyed I'm a bit something else and often mummies that we work with who have said I've my little one's never cried I've always done something to fix whatever I thought with the problem was have said actually it's been really nice to step back and now I can tell the difference that actually I can tell that what he's doing he's not crying because he needs something from me he's crying because he's frustrated that what he's trying to do isn't working and I think a lot of parenting is almost about that it's supporting your little one during their learning but not doing it for them because mm-hmm. otherwise they would never never learn the skills that they need to learn and what about sleep aids you know I know that there are white noise toys mm-hmm. there are you know the, there's the music on the baby monitor mm-hmm. people rock their babies to sleep I mean I even encountered a cot the other day that sort of swooshed and vibrated to like replicate yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, what is your perspective on that are they a good thing to use or 
our perspective is that what you want to do is help your little one sleep without needing anything. White noise can be really useful, especially for newborns, because of course, when we were talking about earlier about the stimulation, white noise can be really helpful to to calm them. And you know, if you live in a very noisy area, a noisy household, you know, if you've got three or four older children who aren't particularly quiet, white noise can be useful for that. If you've got noisy neighbours, especially if you've got a light sleeper, and there some, are some children that are just really light sleepers, aren't there? There are, although I often find that they they don't have particularly amazing sleep skills mm. the little ones who are like sleepers but of course we have we have these sleep cycles so they spend a good chunk of the time that they're asleep in lighter sleep because that's how our sleep cycles work so we recommend white noise if, if you need to block out sounds because it's not generally something that little ones rely upon in relation to everything else yeah it probably will work at the time if you have a swooshing cot that kind of acts like a car but at some point your baby's going to grow out of that swooshing cot and I don't think there's one that they make for adults and so at some point you're going to have to teach your little one how to fall asleep independently so yes at that immediate moment in time they probably will help but actually it's not it's just putting off a problem for later and do you think sleep becomes harder to learn when they're older is it harder to teach a nine-year-old who's sort of always been swooshed to sleep by the special cot to sleep than it would be a nine-day-old I would say probably maybe not a nine day old, but you know, four, five, six, four, five, six months old are probably one of my favorite ages because they haven't had months and months and years and years of being helped to sleep. Whereas if you're nine years old and you've always been assisted to sleep, it does take a lot longer because you've got nine years worth of being assisted to sleep to undo and also you know when you're working with toddlers and preschoolers they know their own mind shall we say slightly more than a five or six month old and so sometimes toddlers you know it's an it's an amazing age it's a magical age but also they are very quite tenacious they they're learning they have some independence and they want to assert that independence thank you very much and you will know about it so you know and again you know there's probably a couple of years of being assisted to sleep in some way shape or form before we start working with them so you know I would say probably for me around five six months if your little one isn't sleeping particularly well they've had the you know inverted commas four months sleep regression they are cognitively able to sleep I say through the night I'm not talking about feeds some five or six month olds needs need one or two feeds but that's very different to waking up every hour and needing a feed or something to get back to sleep again. And then obviously then the big jump once they become a little bit older is going from a cot into a bed, mm. which I remember kind of freaking out about because you could essentially just like, you know, a child was confined to the cot. Yes. So, you know, A, they couldn't do themselves any harm. B, bedtime really meant bedtime. You yep. shut the door. Yep. And luckily actually didn't really happen with mine but I have so many friends whose children are like well brilliant now I'm free I have no intention of going to bed and I you know they pop up in their beds in their bathrooms Mm -hmm. downstairs Mm -hmm. and they just don't get no I'm not what what do you do in that situation and is that quite common it is but it's often more common with children who don't have great sleep skills parents will often say well we thought it would make it better to put her in a bed or put him in a bed and I say well if she hasn't got great sleep skills beforehand all you're doing is removing as you said a barrier to kind of getting out so we recommend not going into a cot until at the very earliest two and a half to three the only caveat to that I suppose is if your little one's getting out of the cot and they're not doing it particularly safely we do have a blog on how to help little ones stay in their cot for longer you know perhaps putting their sleeping bag on backwards so they can't get out of it and it's a lot harder but we don't want little ones toppling out of a cot and hurting themselves but that's probably the only reason I would say consider moving into a, a bed earlier if you you know if you need a new a new cot for your new new arrival an imminent new arrival get a new cot don't take your toddler out of a cot too early just because you need a new cot you know all these kind of reasons that people say oh you know we thought it'd be a good idea if your little one's got great sleep skills then you can kind of start by introducing perhaps some sleep brawls that they need to lay in bed quietly at bedtime and then perhaps rewards little ones of that age generally need the immediate gratification rewards so first thing in the morning they can have a sticker or whatever it is that you've decided but yeah I would leave it as long as you possibly can especially if your little one hasn't got great sleep skills because you're just then creating even more of a problem they obviously also can't tell the time I remember having one of those clocks that you know the sun came up when it was time to wake up and you could set it I mean I found that pretty useful do you find that that is a good way of sort of letting it's kind of empowering them to work out when is it is and also it's not fair to kind of say to them you have to stay in bed till morning but I'm not going to give you any clues as to what morning is especially at this time of the year when it's quite dark or even in the middle of the summer when it's 
you know, bright sunshine at 5am. So I find those sorts of clocks are really useful. You know, your little one can't tell the time, but they can tell if it's blue or yellow, or you can even turn the blue off because it is, sometimes can be quite bright. So it's either off or it's yellow in which case it's morning time. And I've used that, you know, those sorts of clocks with all of my children. And as they get older and start to understand their numbers, you don't even have to get one of those clocks. You know, you could have a a digital clock where you perhaps tape up the minutes and you can have, you know, you can get out of bed when it says six or when it says seven. And so they understand that when they're a little bit older as well. And it doesn't even have to be that. You don't have to go out and buy anything new. You could perhaps have some, I don't know, fairy lights on a timer that when the timer, you know, when the fairy lights come on at the end of the bed, then you can get up, all of those sorts of things. But I think it's unfair to expect children to be able to stay in bed until morning if we're not going to give them some clue as to when morning is. And should we put some books in their cot so that if they do wake up they've got stuff to read or is that encouraging them to wake up early yeah I would say what we want to avoid is them waking up for anything exciting so you know some parents say we you know I get exhausted I bring them into my bed and they have the ipad or I bring them into my bed for cuddles or you know I'll go and sit in the room we'll have a bit of quiet time or you know I'll put books in their cot and actually what we want your little one to do is if they're waking up really early then they're potentially not getting quite the right balance of sleep. You know, if they're waking before six o'clock, which is generally the the earliest that we say is morning, then they probably need something. You need to look at their daytimes and their nighttimes if they're having the right type of sleep. And I would also say, yeah, we don't want them waking up thinking, oh, brilliant, it's my book time and mummy's going to come in and we'll have some nice books and stories. So we want to avoid anything too exciting to even subconsciously create this early morning waking cycle yeah because ultimately I mean I remember when my children were little the biggest excitement was the iPad Mm. but whenever they woke up really early I would be like just watch the iPad in my bed while I can sleep and of course that's in the short term what I really wanted to do but then they they were like oh great if I wake up early I get to watch the iPad in In mummy's bed bed. with them it's all very warm and snuggly and it's lovely earlier and earlier and And I think you know as a treat once in a while if your little ones are old enough to understand you know you can say oh it's Saturday morning okay so okay as a special treat you can come in our bed and watch a program or watch the ipad or that sort of thing and they can understand that it's a bit of a special treat so if they've got great sleep skills absolutely you know every now and again we'll have breakfast in bed although I try and not have that too often because I find crumbs in my bed but you know or they'll come in the morning and we'll maybe have a program and watch in bed as a special treat but everyone knows that's a special treat everyone knows that that's not going to happen day after day after day so yeah absolutely that can be a really lovely experience but if you're doing that because your little one's waking too early and they're kind of that's reinstating in making this early morning waking go on and on and on you probably need to reconsider what you're doing and the whole sleeping in your bed thing I get actually I was never much of a sort of co-sleeper when they were little and Mm. I found actually that having a baby in my room was really disruptive to my sleep I just couldn't sleep Mm. and so we very quickly moved them to their own room but obviously where I could hear them but I'm now finding it you know my children are eight and ten I it feels like around the corner is the time where they will not want to Mm -hmm. come and cuddle in my bed and there's just something so lovely about that is that a really bad thing if they occasionally come into my bed not at all you know and and I think it's really lovely like I was saying the odd treat the odd sleepover you know sometimes my my oldest two especially will say oh you know can I sleep in your bed or sometimes they'll they'll come and sleep in bed until we go to bed and then we'll put them in their own beds which is something that I would always tell my clients not to do but actually they've got great sleep skills so the odd treats is not going to undo all of your good work that you've had and and even talking about co-sleeping if co-sleeping works for you that's wonderful if everyone's co-sleeping safely and getting the right amount of sleep perfect lots of people will say oh you know you won't like me because I co-sleep and I'm like well if you're doing it safely and everyone's getting enough sleep, that's wonderful. I love that. That's all I want is for, you know, for everybody, children especially, to get the right amount of sleep. So if you're happy co-sleeping, carry on co-sleeping. That's wonderful. You don't need my help. I'm not here to to tell you how you should be living your life and how you should be sleeping. I just want to make sure that everyone's getting the right amount of sleep. So if you do need help, I'm here. If you're all perfectly well and happily getting enough sleep, that's perfect as well. Mm. And I suppose just to cherish those moments and, oh, and you know, think, well, I deserve this. I've had how many ten years now of being a kind of this relentless job of being a mother. Yes. I think you get to deserve the nits. Oh, the, 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 yeah, totally. Even if I was about to say, even if your child then does give you nits because they've slept in your bed. <laughs> oh, that's a gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> thinking today it is amazing how we seem to have fleas in dogs under control but not nits in children yeah it is quite remarkable actually <laughs> touch wood i'm now looking for some wood we we i, I said it now we haven't yet You've had the delights i've got everything yeah. stocked in the bathroom just <laughs> in case i think it's because i have two boys and my oldest so i think because they've got shorter hair yeah. but you know we i have a little girl who's three so i'm i'm i've no doubt <laughs> 
that that will be coming. You mentioned, well, I mean, there's a lot in the in the papers about how we probably all don't quite get enough sleep, us adults, mm. and, and probably our children. I, was to, I went to a sort of talk at school and they were saying, you know, for like year four, year five, your kids really probably do need 11, 12 hours mm. of sleep yeah. a night. And I think actually a lot of children aren't getting that. Mm. What are the signs of a child who's not getting enough sleep? How might you notice that they might need be needing a bit more sleep? Because it often doesn't manifest itself in the no, morning. No, yes, exactly. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, I suppose it's a very basic general idea is that they might be a little bit more grumpy, a little bit more irritable. We're all a little bit less... We're a little less emotionally robust if we're tired. So you might find school drop-offs then become a bit problematic, those sorts of things. Often when we work with school-aged children, school drop-offs or or being separated from parents as much more of a bigger deal than it would ordinarily be because they're not quite very emotionally robust. With younger children, you might find that they, or even with children who perhaps shouldn't be napping, they'll fall asleep perhaps on a long car journey. Or if you're in the car at times where it wouldn't ordinarily be their nap times or, you know, if they're over three, that probably they've cut out their naps, but they then start falling in the car that suggested that they're not getting the right amount of overnight sleep perhaps that they fall asleep much earlier than bedtime so you know if, if bedtime is normally seven o'clock and half past five you found them you know face down in their high chair in their food that sort of thing again that's a sign that they're not getting enough sleep or if you have to wake them on a morning so if you're constantly having to wake your little one for school on a morning or, or even you know because you need to go to work and you're having to wake them at a time that you perhaps would expect them to be awake again that's a sign that they're not getting quite enough sleep mm. and what if they're just not going to sleep though before if you kind of put them to bed earlier but then they're tossing and turning and then they're mm. still not going to sleep till nine but then at seven the next morning you're having to kind of wrestle them away I mean, you just keep persisting? I think it depends on the age of the child. You know, if your little one's very, very young, then you would start looking at daytime sleep. If they're older, it probably means, it may mean that there's something going on. So if it's a short, you know, if if everything had normally been great, and then for a short period of time, something manifests itself at bedtime, you know, often children will have things that they can't get off their minds so you can try things like worry monsters or the relaxed kids website has some great resources for children to kind of calm their minds before bedtime a little bit of mindfulness age-appropriate mindfulness you can write things down away from the bedtime routine about things that have happened that day or anything they're worried about and then try and find a solution to that because you know it might seem inconsequential to to you whatever there it is that they're worried about but if for them with my eldest I often find his sleep he struggles to go to sleep if there's something on his mind and so it's really important to see if you can ascertain what that problem is to see if that helps if it's a very long-standing problem then that's probably the sort of time that you might want to think about speaking to an expert about getting help with your little one's sleep because it may just be that there's a lot of anxiety around bedtime because they think well I can't fall asleep and I don't know how to fall asleep and that sort of thing and that's kind of what we want to help them with. Yeah, I mean, someone said to me once the best way to try and get sleep is to try not to sleep. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. I, I, I'm not necessarily a great sleeper and I'll very often wake up and get so stressed that I'm not sleeping mm. that my adrenaline levels rise. Yeah. And Whereas if I just do something else that's not trying to get sleep, yeah. then I'll, I'll, I'll often fall asleep. listening to something or reading something mm. instead of as, as dark as possible. Mm. I mean, I always find that sort of bedtime story snuggled up in bed is a really nice way to sort of wind down and definitely and actually my sister says and I should really do this too but she tries to spend 10 minutes with each child on their own just before bedtime just chatting about the day and the trouble is is that I was talking to another friend of mine and she says that you know she puts her daughter down she has that sort of you know 10 minutes with her and then she puts her down and she's like mommy I need to tell you something else <laughs> mommy I need to no 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 one more thing one more thing and she says you know obviously I need to be there yep. emotionally for her mm-hmm. it's really important that I listen but it means that we're not getting to bed till nine because mm-hmm. suddenly at eight she She's telling me all these things, mm. you know, because and there is, a, I mean, I see it definitely with my daughter. She's, she suddenly has a million things to tell me, which yeah. she forgots, or forgets often by the time she's even remembered them. And part of it is, I want your attention, I want mm-hmm. your attention, I mm-hmm. want your attention, yeah. rather than I've got something burning I need to mm. tell you. How do you deal with that? We, what we suggest is kind of in that calm, quiet time before the bedtime routine, that's when you get into the habit of talking to your little ones. So that can be a really nice time, depends how many children you have. But, you know, especially if, if you have a partner that's home for bedtime you can almost separate off so you can have some one-on-one time because that's really really important especially if there's been a big change if mommy's gone back to work or there's a new sibling that sort of thing that one-on-one time can really be vital and almost a game changer we want to make sure that children's attention cups are full when they're going to bed so they're not looking for that attention last thing at night and we generally say kind of you know have that little quiet play 
that one-on-one child-led play, but also try and deal with all the things that they then want one more of at night time. So if they want, you know, maybe a bit of a sleepy snack, a little bit of supper, there's a, a list of them on our on our website, but there's things like cherries, there's a, some dairy, a bowl of yogurt, a bowl of cereal, you know, some toast, some wholemeal toast, and then kind of try and get into the habit, perhaps, you know, talking to them, then doing a a little diary or something like that or there's a lot of nice books on the market that you can get that you can work through your child's day doing that at that time is then going to take it away from the oh just one last whatever it is at bedtime so if you kind of try and try and deal with everything then then that can be a really good habit to get into yeah because it is it's that I love the idea of the attention cup is full yeah because it's so hard I think it's probably where I fail the most or feel like I fail the most oh no I think we, we all do you know it's really really hard to make sure everyone gets enough attention every day and one-on-one attention is hard as well especially if you know if you're by yourself or you you know your partner's working away or working late and you're trying to give one-on-one attention to each child and we generally suggest you know about 20 minutes of play with each child one-on-one uninterrupted which is near on impossible to you know get everyone home from after school club make sure everyone's got enough food and then fed watered bath time especially if you have children of different ages I am absolutely there with the rest of the moms I know that when I'm saying this it's it's not easy but it's just trying to build that into your day to kind of make sure everyone has enough one-on-one time with you so so their attention cup is full this is why I have such a problem with homework because I think they've they've been learning all day long Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then you send them home at four with more homework and it's basically interfering and anyway that's a whole different topic (laughs) it's probably a whole other podcast (laughs) yeah it is (laughs) do very broad 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 question Mm. if we were to talk about kind of golden rules of Mm. sleep and I'm talking more about here because I do think one of the things that is really important as a parent is to teach your child to sleep well mm-hmm. if you possibly I can. Yeah. I mean, is that possible, do you think? I think it is. Well? I think it's a skill like everything else. I think that's possibly one of the biggest misconceptions that everyone has about sleep that, oh, it's just so natural. We all do it. Everyone knows how to do it. Your baby will too. But actually, I think it's estimated about a third of the population, the adult population, has a sleep problem in one way, shape, or form. And so it's not just natural. We don't all know how to do it. And it's a skill like everything else. So we teach our children to walk, to talk, to cycle, to swim, to everything else. But we can model those things. Whether we whether we notice it or not, we do it every day. We're walking all the time. We're talking all the time. We're feeding ourselves. And so while little ones are singing what we're doing, you can't really model sleep. And so you definitely need to, to, to guide your little one towards sleep. And like I said, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is perhaps that sleep is so natural that it will just come. But I think it is a skill that we need to teach our little because ones. Because you're right, I think it's such an important thing. If you, God, the days that I sleep well, I feel like a different woman. And the days that I sleep terribly, I feel awful. And I mean, people, I was reading something recently and they said that, you know, you can die of, of lack of sleep. I mean, people, mm. people develop seriously long-term health problems. So actually teaching your child kind of basic sleep hygiene, mm. that sleep is really important, that you have to prioritize sleep are all really, really important skills, probably as important as reading and writing. Perhaps even more so. I think now the Guinness Book of Records have now taken out the possibility of breaking the world record for, for example, staying awake the longest because it's too dangerous. You know, you can pretty much launch yourself off a, I don't know, a a huge bridge and all of those sorts of things. That's not dangerous, but not having enough sleep is. And and for children and for adults, it's really, really vital for their health. You know, for children, it reduces their risk of type 2 diabetes, of obesity, whereas as you get older, it becomes even more important. If Matthew Walker suggests that if you routinely get less than six to seven hours of sleep per night, it doubles your risk of cancer. There's a spike in heart attacks the day after the clocks go forward. When you lose an hour of sleep, there's a spike in heart attacks in hospitals. The reverse is then true for when you get an extra hour of sleep in the autumn. But not getting enough sleep on a regular basis really raises your risk of Alzheimer's, of heart disease, of high blood pressure, heart attacks, heart failure, stroke, diabetes, obesity, you know, the list goes on. From a very, very basic health point of view, it really is so important. So, you know, for us as adults and children, but from a developmental point of view in children as well, very basically, I suppose, if they're not getting the right amount of sleep at the right time and the right type of sleep, I'm probably showing my age, but back historically when you had computers that you, if you hadn't pressed say, and then you closed it down your work would have disappeared into the and you'd be like oh my gosh I've closed it down I haven't pressed save there's going to be loads of people listening to this saying I don't understand what that means but that's sort of like how our brains work that if we don't have or certainly our children don't have the right type of sleep at the right time their brains don't press save on what they've been learning that day so 
you know, they're, they're, if they've been practicing walking, talking, crawling, whatever it is, they're not then retaining that practicing. So they're not going to be developing as quickly from a very, very basic point of view. And so often we find children when we've been working with them, I think there's at least two little ones who were toddlers who had speech and language referrals. But actually, by the time we'd finished working with them about three weeks later, they were able to cancel those speech and language referrals because their speech had developed so dramatically because they were getting the right, the right sleep at the right time. So in terms of sort of golden rules to promote kind of healthy mm. healthy sleep, what would they be? I would say probably the biggest one is letting your little helping your little one to fall asleep independently without reliance upon something making sure that they are able to fall asleep without you having to rock them or feed them or all of those sorts of things you know once they're newborns if you are thinking of helping guide them towards their independent sleep skills being consistent that's really important often we speak to parents and they say we've tried everything and maybe they have but they've maybe tried one thing one day and that hasn't worked immediately so they've tried something else and something else and something else whereas what we need to do is make sure that every sleep situation is exactly the same whether that's naps or bedtime or in the night because there's no point trying something just at bedtime because that won't you know you need to to look at sleep as a whole so being really consistent and also I think if your little one's napping then be respectful of their naps even if you know you need to have a nap on the go or or that sort of thing make sure you're respecting their awake times because you don't want them to be overtired so making sure that they have naps at the right time which will then set them up really well for bedtime yeah and I guess you know as they get a little bit older I found one of the things is allowing enough time for bedtime so watchmen will go upstairs and be in our pajamas and have our teeth brushed an hour before I want to get them to sleep because it means that that last hour isn't rushed and Mm. we have enough time for each other and we could read a story and it just I find that makes a big 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 difference in the days that it's a little bit later I always get them to bed much later than Mm. I anticipate Mm. and that I want I think making sure making sure that bedtime isn't rushed we want it to be a nice calm affair and if your little ones have got great sleep skills the length of the bedtime routine probably isn't too important especially once they're older but when they're little we generally I would say aim for about half an hour especially when they're you know under a year because they've got relatively short wake windows so we don't want their bedtime routine to be so extended you know maybe like a half hour bath and then you kind of go into everything else because then they're going to get their second wind and then they're going to find it really hard to fall asleep so you know when children are older and they have great sleep skills and you know the bedtime routine that's it's lovely to have one but you know having it a little bit too long is fine but when you're helping your little one go to sleep I would say kind of around half an hour is probably what you want to aim for okay and there are so many kind of theories bandied around about sort of sleep and I know that there are a lot of myths what would you say are the the biggest misconceptions about sleep? Probably, probably something that we mentioned earlier that, you know, sleep is very natural and it'll just come and it'll be fine. And the babies know what to do and you should be led by your baby. And actually, no, it's like saying they know what to do in relation to walking or talking or feeding. They don't really have a clue. You know, some, you know, when I'm talking about weaning, you know, they wouldn't know to, to grab some carrots and get a spoon and feed themselves. And I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. You know, some parents have good sleepers and, you know, we have different types of babies. We have spirited babies. We have angel babies that they're referred to. But I think that's probably the biggest misconception is that, you know, your baby will know what to do when it comes to sleep because often they don't and how important is that bedtime is always the same time of day I would say this kind of roughly the same time of day but what's important especially as your little ones are younger and have naps that we want to look at awake times rather than the clock time so whenever we work with parents I always make sure that they don't look at you know have your baby in bed at seven o'clock every day because sometimes if your little one's perhaps woken earlier from a nap they might need to be in bed at six or quarter past six no earlier than six but making sure that your little one has the right awake time is really really important so you know if your little one is you know five six months old and have woken from a nap at two and then you know won't then nap uh, until for the rest of the afternoon you need to bring bedtime forward if your little one's woken at four from a nap you're not going to be able to put them down the same time as you would if you if they woke at three from a nap so making sure that their awake times uh, are right is really important for them okay are you a good sleeper i am yes (laughs) have you always been a good sleeper i think i have i didn't sleep particularly well when i was pregnant but i think that was just more uncomfortableness if that's even a word and just trying to get comfortable but yes I, don't, I, I need my sleep. I'm quite grumpy without my sleep. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. I'm a different person when I've slept well. Absolutely. Jenna, thank you so much for coming along today. Um, you've talked a lot about how you support individual families. So you, how do you, how, just tell us a little bit about how you support them. 
So we work often with one-on-one with families. So what would happen is we have an initial free chat just to make sure that everyone's on the same page, that we, that, you know, parents can answer and ask any questions that they've got about how we work and that sort of thing. And then if we both think that we're a great fit, then we would send a questionnaire out to the parents in relation to their little one. It's about generally about 60 questions, mostly about the child, but a little bit about the parenting style, that sort of thing. And then they send that back to us and then we prepare a questionnaire, a sleep plan, sorry, that's just for their little one based upon the questionnaire. So yes, we can use similar principles for children of different ages, but exactly what we do and how we structure the plan, we talk about everything. We talk about nighttime, we talk about bedtime, we talk about naps, we talk about routines, we talk about daylight, we talk about food, everything that impacts on sleep we talk about. And then we meet with the families. We can work via Skype. So we've worked with lots of families who live abroad. If they're local, we'll go and see them. And if the children are over three, then we'd also meet with the children in an age-appropriate way and talk to them. And and then we support everybody in relation to the sleep. So we have phone calls and emails with parents. And if the children are older, we then have FaceTimes or little videos so that the children can kind of take responsibility for what they're doing and a bit of ownership. And we also have sleep logs that parents fill in daily and we check that those sleep logs daily to make sure that we're making that the sleep as bespoke as possible for their child because you know everyone has different sleep needs so we want to make sure that we're making it as bespoke as possible for that little one perfect and where can people find out more about what you do so we're little dreams consulting our website is www.littledreamsconsulting.com we're also on facebook under that name and instagram little dreams consulting limited ltd and they're very welcome to have a look that all the information is on there what's included in the packages the prices everything is on there so there's nothing hidden there's never any hidden charges or you need extra this or extra that everything is included in the price Perfect. Fantastic. And you mentioned you've got a blog too. So people that, you know, interested in hearing a little bit more about sleep can always have a look. And presumably that's on online on your website. It is it's on the website. There's a lot of extra information as well we have from other experts that we ask to blog for us. So, you know, how to put on a five minute soft play face of makeup to how to introduce your dogs to your new babies, those sorts of things. So we have a lot about sleep, how to manage holidays, time differences, all of those sorts of things, but a lot of other things as well. Oh my gosh. So many more questions for you, Jenna. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed chatting to you and it's really inspired me to to kind of get better sleep actually for me rather than anyone else wonderful well thank you so much for having me i've had a lovely time good thank you and thank you all for listening to another episode of the parenthood please don't forget to subscribe rate and review us wherever you've downloaded this podcast you can follow me on instagram i'm at marina.fogel but in the meantime from jenna and me thanks for listening and goodbye bye Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.